The following podcast, Bridgeport Stories, is sponsored by PSEG Power Connecticut. PSEG is committed to the communities they serve, transforming the way we think about energy by building systems that use less to promote environmental sustainability and a bright future together. Visit BridgeportHarborStation.com for more information. Welcome to Bridgeport Stories. My name is Frank Boris. I'll be your host today and probably for all of the uh, pieces on, in this series. Bridgeport Stories is about the unique, the interesting, the inspiring things that happen in Bridgeport, the people who make them happen. And um, we want to introduce them to you, our audience, and welcome again to Bridgeport Stories. My name, Frank Boris. I'm here with Michael Balava. Michael is a historian and an author, someone I've known for many years. Uh, we're both uh, New York Met fans from way back, right? And That's absolutely true. Hopefully this will be a good season. I hope so. And uh, he shared, uh, he, as an author, he's done a lot on the uh, Northeast uh, uh, mysterious and abandoned sites. He shared his findings on TV programs such as Good Morning Connecticut. He's been on the Connecticut in the Connecticut Post, even with Major League Baseball. He's lectured on behalf of the National Endowment of the Arts and presented his research, um, Reanimating the Dead, huh? What's yeah. that all about? And that's another uh, chapter in Bridgeport's Bizarre History. And uh, there were uh, two different doctors at the same time, contemporaries, who were experimenting with executed criminals up at the North End Jailhouse. Really? In the jailhouse? Yeah, eerie, eerie things, yeah. It started as a ghost story. That's what sparked my interest in it. And uh, why the folks, the guards in the jailhouse were upset was because of those uh, executions and then the uh, following experiments trying to uh, raise them from the dead. Don't worry, folks. We'll have Michael back, and he'll talk about some of those other items if he would have us. Uh, Michael is the author of five books, including the very popular Wicked Bridgeport and Wicked New Haven. And his efforts to preserve New England history have been covered in the New York Times, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal. Uh, he's been around, and he's written about the men in black and lectured extensively about the life of Albert Bender, which is why we're here today, right? Albert is a fascinating Bridgeport person. And uh, he was born in Pennsylvania in 1921, and he served in World War II. And it was after he was discharged that he relocated to the city of Bridgeport with his mom and his uh, stepfather, uh, Michael and um, uh, goodness, I got to think of Michael's last name here. It's well, okay. That that kind of detail, no one's going to look up anyway. But we believe you. You know, um, um, because it was in Michael's home on Broad Street at seven eighty four Broad Street that all these strange occurrences took place. So that's what this show is about. It's the it's about the strange occurrences of Albert Bender in downtown Bridgeport, and I'm sure you're curious as I am to know a little bit about this guy. Before you tell us about what happened, tell us a little bit about him and why he uh, 
is now of interest to us today. When Bender was uh, living in Bridgeport, he took an interest in the paranormal. He, he lived in the third floor attic rooms of, uh, of it was a, a Alderino's home at 784 Broad Street. And he, he filled his attic with uh, faux skulls, posters of uh, horror films, and, and that was um, what he was fascinated with. It came around about the same time of the UFO sightings, the flying saucer sightings in the late 1940s. And being interested in the paranormal, he naturally took to starting to research, we, we say UFOs now, but the flying saucers, Roswell. There were a number of um, well-known documented cases of supposed flying saucer sightings. He's in Bridgeport. He's interested in the flying saucers. And uh, he started an organization. It's one of the earliest organizations, not just in the United States, but in the world, called the International Flying Saucer Bureau. And he started that group in 1952. And it was through Albert reaching out to uh, local individuals in Bridgeport and Stratford, and then eventually getting to about 600 to 1,000 members around the world. These folks he shared um, a newsletter with, a quarterly newsletter called The Space Review. And in that publication, they documented sightings in the area. They shared information back and forth just to further the research of, of flying saucers. All this was going on around the time that Bender started to experience strange phone calls in the middle of the night, nobody on the other end. He had a distinct feeling that he was being watched. He reports in his um, autobiography of the Flying Saucers and the Three Men. He published that in 1962. He reports being followed on both Main Street and Broad Street in Before downtown Bridgeport. Before you go into that, Michael, his house, was it where Bob's discount um, furniture is now? I know 784 Broad Street is around it there. Is, it's so easy to, to find the site. It's Kitty Corner from the downtown main library. Yes. Across from the Housatana Community College bookstore. If you were coming down the steps from the bookstore at the college, yes. looking straight ahead, that's where Albert Bender's home was. Is that like so the, the old gas company was or it's something? Th that's where the uh, gas company's old parking lot. Old parking lot. Okay. Is now. So this, this is right in downtown Bridgeport, steps away from Bridgeport Public Library across from Housatonic. Exactly. It's in the heart of downtown. Okay. And uh, and he used to work at Acme Shears? He was just a regular guy working at Acme Shears? He was in charge of um, uh, the time timekeeping, uh, um, the punch clocks for the workers. And some kind of uh, bizarre, I guess, nod to his career, he would fill his house with clocks. And uh, they would chime and alarm and buzz all every all at once, every 15 minutes and half an hour and on the hour. So anybody walking on Broad Street, they'd hear this cacophony of alarm clocks going off, cuckoo clocks, buzzers, and everybody would just watch that watch that racket. And the neighbors would say, "I oh, don't worry, it, it's just Albert." He was into the extraterrestrial and all the different uh, oh oh yeah strange and uh, odd he, items. He was viewed as an eccentric individual at that time in the late 1940s and early 50s. But when you really consider his life, he was far ahead of his time. He, he would have been highlighted on any of these cable shows or podcasts, uh, NPR, about his research dealing with uh, flying saucers or the paranormal. He, he would have been, uh, at that point, 
at that time he was considered probably a crackpot. Now his ideas at least would have been embraced by uh, at least the fringe sciences of po- about being possible. And what was his basic message? He he was reaching out. He felt that the uh, flying saucers were real and that it was alien beings who were trying to reach out to communicate with the earth. He felt that it was something that was going to be in a, uh, optimistic in a, in, a, in a great light that there'd be this relationship with other beings from other worlds. Some folks didn't share that opinion. And you can tell from any of the B science fiction films in the 1950s, Mars attacks and right. aliens are hostile. They're antagonistic. Bender, at the beginning at least, was uh, very, very open-minded that it w- this could be a good relationship. What, what happened wh- and what soured him were these, uh, in addition to this um, oppressive feelings and the headaches and the telephone calls, were, were the actual visits from the men in black. And those started to take place in 1953. So he started to get visits from people who could be considered government representatives? Bender's visits were completely covered by the local newspapers. It, w- it was very newsworthy, just as it is now. The papers said that it was government officials. Mm-hmm. They could have been uh, from the FBI. They could have been from the Air Force, uh, Project Blue Book representatives. It, it, it could have been any kind of even a, a, a clandestine quasi-government uh, office Bender actually felt that they were beings from another planet. The folks who did come to his house, he described them as always wearing black. They wore um, black ties, black jackets, black sunglasses, and they wore a Hamburg, black Hamburg hats. He said they looked as if they were ministers, all in black, that they uh, approached him, and the initial visit, and they told him to stop his research cut out looking into flying saucers, and they confiscated all those extra copies of the uh, Space Review newsletter. He would always mention that his rooms would fill with a a yellow mist or something that smelled like sulfur. And folks take a diabolical uh, view of what was, who was visiting his uh, attic apartments. Uh, Were they government officials? But think in it, as outlandish as it sounds, we have to remember just a few years later how the CIA was conducting experiments with mind-altering hallucinogenics, uh, and, and unknowns they were uh, uh, dousing the subways in New York City. So they were experimenting uh, uh, on American citizens without their knowledge. Was there a government agency that had been in some manner drugging or or in some way um, affecting the mind, the thoughts of Albert Bender, that he thought he was seeing aliens who were actually government officials. What is it with these chemical smells, the the midnight phone calls? It does... Had he ever been in the military? He wasn't in the military. uh, Yes, yes, he was. He served during World War II. Okay. And um, he was in a medical corps as a dental technician. And he was... uh, And I always mention he was honorably discharged. There was nothing that would portray a history of erratic behavior or any kind of mental or emotional illness. When it was after he was discharged, and um, he was discharged in Langley, Virginia, as a matter of fact, that he moved to Bridgeport. 
Wow. So after his discharge, he moves to Bridgeport, starts working at Acme Shears as a timekeeper and has all these crazy clocks in his house and then starts getting visits because of his odd um, habits and interests. And were they actually the men in black that inspired the term men in black? That's, and that's why Albert Bender is attached around the world with MIB, the men in black phenomenon. It was, uh, he may not have been actually the first, he was among the first visits of, of the individuals described as men in black, but he's certainly the most famous. His uh, instances were, were documented by um, an author who wrote the book, They Knew Too Much, and his name is Gray Barker. And I'm going to take a look here because it's super important. So... These folks, uh, were they in the newspaper and radio? Did people talk about people like Albert Bender? Were they as known as they are today? Yeah, uh, the Bridgeport Papers, uh, the Sunday Herald, which was really a tabloid and that they did uh, a lot of exploitation kind of news. From the south end of Bridgeport. Exactly. They highlighted Bender. They loved the story that he was, the storyline he was feeding them. He, they, the... Uh, Reporters from the papers would approach him and ask. Later on, Bender said that quotes were taken out of context, quotes were just invented, and in some instances he didn't speak to the reporters who were covering him. He, he felt that he was really being, um, you know, just dogged about this and made to look as if he was a crackpot. Were and, and reporters ridiculed. coming from other parts of the country to speak to him? As far as I know, no. It was it was the New Bridgeport Papers. It was local a local press. story. Yes. But then you say an author was interested in it. It was Gray Barker, and uh, he was a fellow IFSB, International Flying Saucer Bureau member. And in 1956, he wrote the book, They Knew Too Much About Flying Saucers. And he was the individual who invented the phrase, Men in Black. Oh. in association with Albert Bender. So it wasn't Albert Bender who thought of the term, but it was his experiences that created that phrase. And that's the phrase that's it's gone into a film franchise. It's popular, pop, a part of our popular culture, and it's known around the world. It, it all started in, right in downtown Bridgeport, and it was Albert Bender and his research that sparked the whole study or... Um, what did it, his research say? He, he eventually would write to all the members of the International Flying Saucer Bureau in the Space Review and warn them if, uh, to drop researching any of the flying saucer business and that if you do continue to be exceedingly careful. Bender wrote that the government, there are officials, he called them a higher authority, already know the answer about uh, what flying saucers are, what their source is, and it is very dangerous to look into this matter. And he cut out uh, the newsletter, and he um, just folded the organization. Uh, it was a, a shock to all the members, and people pressed him, you know, why are you giving it up? Why are you stopping this when it's, it's of so much interest? He, no, it, he felt it was much too dangerous. You know, it's funny. Today we're reading about the FBI and Bridgeport and the FBI, FBI in Bridgeport was here um, uh, way back when during the men in ECE administration and then more recently, 15 years ago. And um, so we have a history of uh, drawing uh, government uh, um, 
government workers to Bridgeport? Well, in, in some instances, there may be a little bit more of a, a material, as they used to call a, a material hands-on, and uh, at some other point, we'll have to talk about um, Dutch Schultz. Uh, one of his last right. headquarters were right here in downtown Bridgeport. The mobster, yes, and um, where his actual wealth might be hidden. A lot of folks conduct treasure hunts someplace in New York State in the Catskills. They're pretty sure it's there. And uh, my theory is that it's much closer to Bridgeport, um, located near his last headquarters at uh, the Barnum Hotel and the Stratfield Hotel. That's where he spent his his final months. Maybe it's in the wall somewhere at the Barnum Hotel. You know, that's what I'm wondering. (laughs) I'm serious. But this uh, gentleman, Bender, so what was he most infamous for while he was in Bridgeport? Contact day on... um, March 15th, 1953, at 6 p.m., he requested through the space review that all the members of the organization memorize and then recite silently a letter that he had prepared, a form letter. And this letter went, what he thought it would do was um, send a telepathic message through to, to entities in outer space and contact them that way. And it was a message that he was holding out a olive branch and it was a message of, of peace. He asked everybody that um, wanted, to part- wanted to participate on March 15, 1953, he called it Sea Day, to recite uh, this letter, or excuse me, to, um, in, his, in their mind to recite the words, calling occupants of interplanetary craft calling occupants of interplanetary craft that have been observing our planet Earth. We of IFSB wish to make contract, contact with you. We are your friends and would like you to make an appearance here on Earth. The letter goes on about friendship and appreciation between worlds. And if anybody has any thoughts about Albert Bender, uh, pro or con, he should be remembered as an individual, again, who I mentioned he's ahead of his time, who was looking not to spread any kind of negative message, but to be more embracing amongst humanity. And that's a legacy that I think that is a solid and positive step forward that Bender should be, uh, you know, that should be his message and remembered, not that he may have been so far on the fringe or, or suffering from a mental breakdown and witnessing things that didn't happen, but this message of a brotherhood and sisterhood. Do we have any information as to what happened with his visits from the men in black? Did anything ever happen or be documented? Members repeatedly asked, you know, who, what happened? Who were these men? Can you describe them? He wasn't so forthcoming with the other members, except for uh, Gray, who wrote the book. He was forthcoming with that fellow. And they would sit down and discuss the men in black. They were, they were close. They appreciated each other's opinions. And, and they felt safe enough, confident enough to discuss it. Other folks in Bridgeport, not so much. They would ask him and they would press him. And they did say that you're just inventing this. You're, you're just creating it just to throw a spotlight on you. And, and he would disavow any anything about uh, just fame or fortune. Bender was not about that. And what he said about them was the way they were dressed and that they were kind of clandestine uh, visits. Uh, did he share yes. anything about the visit? Did he say anything that... He just stressed that they were... Um, very much uh, uh, having him stop his research, stop contacting people, 
do not publish the space review and cease and desist all further, you know, research um, case studies into flying saucers. They didn't want Bender to, to go any further. He felt because he was on the verge of finding something out. And it, it could have been, it really could have been the FBI. There are documents in Washington that show that officials did contact Bender or tried to contact Bender. Uh, there's some limited evidence there. So were they uh, CIA, FBI, somebody from the military? It, it's very, very possible. So what happened to Mr. Bender and his movement? Because of the, the bad press that the uh, uh, newspapers were throwing on him, it made people were calling Acme Shear and uh, complaining to the management that how could you have you know a guy that believes in men from Mars and men in black and alien life? How could you have a guy working at your company? So the pressure got to Bender, and in 1965, he relo- relocated to the West Coast. And uh, So he, he was in Bridgeport until 1965? Yes. But not in that house, because by then... Uh, renovations or redevelopment had taken place already in downtown. In the late 1950s, around 1957, it's when Bender's uh, address vanishes from the city directories. And it's, uh, and and I do enjoy adding to the conspiracy theory part of the story. It's just very odd, very odd, that Bender, who was um, experiencing possible alien visitations, is exactly where I-95 carved right through downtown Bridgeport. It was as if they wanted, the federal government wanted to obliterate any memory of the streetscape that Bender was a part of. So all of downtown, all of Bender's downtown, his his neighborhood just does not exist any longer. So let's keep that conspiracy theory alive. Let's let our audience know that Interstate 95 was uh, rammed through that part of town in Connecticut, in Bridgeport, uh, partially due to the fact that uh, Albert Bender was um, not necessarily uh, a person that they wanted to continue his activities. It's a, just a very strange coincidence that uh, the State Street development and the federal throughway project, the Eisenhower Thruway project, just obliterated everything in that block in that block radius. There's nothing there. All that all that exists is a parking lot yeah. right, and I ninety five. I was just wondering, would you be willing to come back uh, to talk a little bit about um, Jack the Ripper? I'd I'd be very pleased to come back anytime. There are so many stories. There's a connection to Bridgeport, right? There's so many stories about Jack the Ripper leaving London, leaving Whitechapel after the the murders there had ceased and that he may have located somewhere else in the world. And one of those places is Bridgeport that he passed through where there were two Jack the Ripper-type murders in New York City. So we'll talk about that next time you're here, Michael. Michael Balava, um, we're so happy to have you. This was wonderful to hear about Albert. What happened to Albert Bender? Albert Bender lived to a ripe old age, and he just died in 2016, I believe. Oh, really? Very recently? Very recently. And up to his dying day... Folks still would try to contact him to discuss the men in black, and he would not ever, ever, ever go back to that. Uh, and I think it was because it brought back a lot of bad memories of the of uh, being hounded by the press and being ridiculed by his friends and neighbors about what he did experience. How about this, Michael? March 13, 2019, on the 66th anniversary of that um, 
that day when they tried to send those uh, mental signals out into into space, we do it again. You know, Frank, you bring up a really good point because Contact Day is still celebrated around the world by UFO enthusiasts. And every March 15th that they... Uh, uh, March 15th? Yes, March oh, 15th. I, I'm sorry, I said 13th. Okay, 15th. Every March 15th, they do attempt again to recite mentally Bender's original letter to the other worlds. And it's just a neat concept. And uh, yeah, it could be a part of the podcast. Do you mind if we add that letter to our uh, to our information when we send out a social media announcement on this oh, show? Oh, by all means, that'd be excellent. Excellent. Thank you for coming. And we'll, we'll look forward to seeing you again soon. Well, thank you for inviting me. I look that forward to the next show. The preceding podcast, Bridgeport Stories, was sponsored by PSEG Power Connecticut. PSEG is committed to the communities they serve, transforming the way we think about energy by building systems that use less to promote environmental sustainability and a bright future together. Visit BridgeportHarborStation.com for more information.